Oh. Blog Talk Radio. Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It's time for Trek Talking to the Overflow Show. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Mr. Spock. And you might be wondering why that clip was played at the beginning of the show, because that was the first time that anybody other than Captain Kirk actually said those classic words. And, of course, that was none other than Leonard Nimoy. So um, before we get too far into the show, I want to go around the table and introduce all my truck experts. And as usual, we'll start off with my trifecta from Portland. How you doing tonight, David? I'm doing good. Uh, I just got done watching uh, part of Discovery again. It was interesting watching the but, whole Pike series. <laughs> but no donuts? No donuts tonight? No, unfortunately. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, we'll let you stay anyways. That's okay. And we also have with us Paul. How you doing tonight, Paul? I have and shall always be your weirdest guest. That's true. How you doing? <laughs> you're, you're the wine guy. What are you talking uh, about? <laughs> that's just uh, ankle deep of my depth, my friend. Oh, ankle deep, <laughs> ankle deep. And we also have with us, hailing from Portland, we have the same Eric. How you doing, Eric? I am doing great. I also just finished watching some Star Trek. I watched last week's uh, Strange New Worlds episode again, and then I started watching Damaged, uh, the Enterprise episode, so can't we talk about that on Thursday. But, man, we we got some 71-degree sunny weather here in Portland. It's a nice day, so good day to talk Trek. You know, uh, we broke a heat index record here. We, it was 93 degrees on Saturday, and then it was 41 on Saturday night. Like, wow. Yeah. Just, I had Go a figure. friend who traveled to uh, to uh, Toronto, I believe, uh, and she said that there was some kind of freak storm. It was either Toronto or Ottawa. I'm sorry, I can't remember uh, where which location, but somewhere there was like a freak tornado storm where one of those temperature changes happened, and it like took out part of her hometown while she was there. Craziest thing. So yeah, crazy weather uh, stuff we're having these days. It is. It's very crazy. And speaking of crazy weather, we also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right. It's a calm 90 now. At least we don't have any wind. But, yeah, I can understand uh, the odd cold front that's coming, passing through part of the United States was the one that hit us last week. Because one day we hit... uh, 102, the next two days after that, the high of 84. Wow. I think it was Friday. I think it was Friday I woke up, and it was 74, and that should be about the low of the day at sunrise. No, it wasn't. It dropped to about 69 or 70, so. Hey, Charles, are you living in the forest? 
Wow. Am I living where? Yeah. In yeah, the if, forge. There were, if there was one place that was as close to Vulcan oh. uh, of any of us, it de- would definitely be uh, down in Las Vegas, I think. <laughs> That's where the stalagmites are. Let's not say Las Vegas. Let's say the south, the uh, southwest. Desert southwest, yeah. There's parts of sure. California, Arizona, and Nevada all get this big heat wave. Mm-hmm. Wow. California, it's the high deserts north of L.A. They get it, too. Palmdale and such. And Palm Springs. Well, anyways, guys, now that we have the weather report around the globe, <laughs> we're going to talk about some Star Trek. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> good Sound to know. good? Oh, what it does is a sense of connection with our hosts, right? You understand what they're going through because you know what the weather's like. So that's good. It's like good chat. Well, we are part of something <laughs> larger and interconnected. Excellent. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, Spock actually <laughs> has a first name. Did you guys know that? And, well, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Paramount Plus made a mistake when they had their, um, well, I don't, they don't make mistakes, but um, they put up posters at the Mission Chicago convention for Strange New Worlds. And on each poster had the name of each character. And uh, they had Dr. Mbenga's poster up with his first name on it, which has never been uttered anywhere. And, of course, Mr. Spock's first name as well. They quickly took them down and said they made a mistake and they weren't supposed to, they weren't supposed to go up. But they wouldn't have printed them if they were wrong. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like very as canon adjacent as you can get. Much more so canon adjacent than the origin of that name. Uh, but we still haven't seen it on screen, so it's not quite canon. But, uh, man, it's right there right there i i I think that when we when we have the spock going back to uh to mate with to bring i think we may actually hear uh the name or something and i'm assuming this is a second name or something because obviously his one his real vulcan name is unpronounceable we all know so well this uh, one's not 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 really very pronounceable so this one is this one is sachin takai yeah sachin takai spock which Chitin Takai Spock. Yeah, which yeah. comes from uh, a novel um, in Barbara Hamley's Ishmael uh, series from back in the 80s. So that's where the origin of the name came from. And that, you're right, they put it on the posters, man. So as far as I'm concerned, that's his name. But in a way, guys, doesn't it kind of like make the the mystery and the kind of you know, coolness of him less so by getting into that degree of Baroque minutia. I mean, he's just always been Mr. Spock and that's what makes him so cool. Right. I mean, this is like a few years ago where they decided that Emperor Palpatine's first name was Sheev. Right. I don't know if any Star Wars fans are familiar with that. It just kind of makes you go, because eh, I don't know. I just, I just don't find it. It, it almost makes it less appealing to me to know that kind of thing. I mean, I, the way they did it on the original show was so cool. He just shakes his head to Jill Ireland and says, you couldn't pronounce it. And that's just beautiful. It preserves the mystery. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's a little, sometimes a little bit too much mystery revealing and uh, makes things a little less compelling, perhaps. 
Devil well, Advocate. We know, I thought his first name was uh, Grok. We, we, know he, we know that he has one. That's what the internet will do to us, though, Paul, and I, yeah. I agree. But I think should that, he know, have one? But, well, <laughs> and, you know, I, and to, I would argue that that is to each their own. You know, uh, some people don't want to know that stuff. Some people do want to know that stuff. Some people feel like it adds to the depth of the character to know a little bit more about him. So, you know, I, I don't know. I could see it either way. Well, we're going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit, of, well, a lot about Spock tonight. And we have to start off with I grok Spock. And uh, for those of you who don't grok Spock, that's okay. You don't have to grok Spock if you don't want to grok Spock. But um, I grok Spock was a word that was uh, penned by Robert Heilman for his 1961 sci-fi novel, Stranger in a Strange Land, which I missed. I never read it. So I don't know if it's any good or not. Anybody read it? Classic of science no. fiction. Yeah, it's it's you got to read it if you if you Is love science fiction, you got to read it. Yeah. So I've never read it, but uh, the Oxford Dictionary defines grok as to understand intuitively or by empathy to establish a rapport with. So yeah, I can I can definitely see that, and to empathize or communicate uh, sympathy sympathetically with, also to experience enjoyment. In late 1967, during protest against canceling Star Trek, fans popularized the term I grok Spock. And if you ever saw the Get a Life skit that William Shatner did on Saturday Night Live, it's an absolute classic, you will see Dana Carvey standing in the front row with a giant I grok Spock shirt, and he's the one when, when William Shatner says, um, you know, get a life. And he says, so are you saying we should pay more attention to the movies? That was him. And he's wearing a yellow I Grok Spock shirt. So I thought, let's talk about Spock. So what is it that makes Spock so interesting? I mean, really, what, what is it? And for me, I think it's because on TOS, he's the only alien we ever see. How many other aliens are stationed on the Enterprise? They're all from Earth. To my knowledge, I don't recall anyone on the Enterprise other than Spock that wasn't from Earth. Do you guys remember anyone ever coming up other than Spock? I think he was the only one. He was really uh, the main one, at least. You know, there may have been some passing ones later on in the, in the series that had super minor references but but he's the main right. one right i mean and he's that's the, the big guy yeah and that's i think the core of why so many people uh, he's got such enduring appeal this is a character that people have been bananas with for you know decades right and i think a lot of it is just it's that enduring appeal of he is the outcast that we all relate to right he is a, a guy who is part of two worlds and doesn't feel that he can wholly be himself or show himself in either Right. It's like he he's always got to be suppressing part of who he is. And I think that that really resonated with the audience and and touched a nerve because everybody kind of feels like that and can relate to that. That's a powerful thing, man. And we have to remember when TOS came out, the 60s were full of strife. You know, civil rights movement was going on. It was all kinds of strife going on. So a lot of people that were watching Star Trek more than likely could identify with where Spock was. He didn't fit here and he didn't fit there. 
And I think that a lot of people could really, really relate to Spock and identify with him. But also, I was just going to mention that that shows up right at the beginning of the series too. what Paul was just talking about, because I think it's the it's the enemy within, which is just the fourth episode in, which, of course, is the one where uh, Kirk gets split into his two halves, you know, and there's this scene where Spock is sitting with McCoy talking about what's going on. And he says, you know, being split into two halves is no theory with me, doctor. Uh, I have a human half, you see, as well as an alien half submerged constantly at war with the other. Personal experience, Doctor, I survive it because my intelligence wins out over both, making them live together. Wow. I love that line from that episode. That's amazing. And that probably came right on the heels of the Naked Time episode, right, where suddenly everybody lost all of their self-control, and he had to go into a room all by himself and just break down and lose that control and try to regain it again. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, to him it's, like, shameful to be able to, to have a moment like that. And we get to see that. It's, like, uncomfortable because we're watching him and there's no one else there. And so he's just being super vulnerable with us as the audience. And you just see that that turmoil and that struggle and just people related to that so, so, so much. And I know for me, I was going to bring up. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Charles. I was going to bring up an interesting point that this has been brought up before. One of the minor tensions that occurred on the TOS crew was the fact the amount of mail that Leonard Nimoy received from fans. One week he got a few letters and, oh, he'd easily be able to take care of his letters. All of a sudden, he was, they were bringing in mailbags of letters and handing them directly to him. He was getting the bulk of the fan mail, too. So it was the, you knew the fan, even back with the start of the series, loved what he was doing with that character. So the fan exactly. loved been there from the beginning. And I think that, for me, on TNG, I saw Worf, and I was like, boom, there's the guy. And I, I think the reason is because Spock is an alien. We know nothing about him. He's he's wrapped in mystery. We don't know about his planet. We don't know about his people. We don't know anything. And that mystery, I think, attracts people and makes people want to know more about him because everyone else is from Earth. But this guy is from another planet. And people just want to know. They're curious about those things. So Well, and Jim, and he's from another planet, but yet he's living in a human's world. So that's also an interesting aspect of it, right? Because he's like trying to fit in, but yet he is that alien guy. So that's the perfect yep. allegory for so many things, right? That, I think well, that's why people find well, Spock so like universally identifiable is because what exactly what Paul was saying, he's the other. So you know, if you feel like you're the other, you probably identify with Spock if you're a Star Trek fan. And he so was Deanna and, Troy. Mm-hmm, yeah, Deanna Troy, yep. Yeah. And smart is sexy, right? I mean <laughs> That's what I've been told, yes. <laughs> yeah. Smart smart is sexy, you know. You know, here's this guy and he, he's extremely intelligent and he's soft spoken and he keeps to himself. And I think that a lot of people just found that that 
particular uh, trait about Mr. Spock to be fascinating. <laughs> you pardon my know, pun. We know more than <laughs> Nurse Chapel does for sure uh, in both oh, TOS and the new series. Absolutely. And uh, back in the early days uh, of Star Trek conventions, and it's, it, you know, I, it's sad that Star Trek conventions don't really exist anymore. That, that, that breaks my heart more than anything. Now you have these multi-conglomerate comic cons and things like this. You don't really have a Star Trek convention per se. Yes, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Star we Trek have, aka what used to be Star Trek Las Vegas, 55-year mission. That is actually a pure Star Trek even though other groups will join in. You also have Mission, this year Mission Chicago, which was a pure Star Trek invention. I'm sure other fan bases came in, but these two conventions are... these these out a Star Magazine from 1993, and look, and you, you will probably see 25, you'll see a Star Trek convention every weekend somewhere. Uh, and, and everywhere and now mm-hmm. they're they're they just they're not. I mean, you got to go to Las they're Vegas or Chicago. Yeah, they they don't yeah. have they're, they're, they're not they're Star Trek. And, well, there is Trek Conoroga, but that's a different yeah. thing. And yeah, well, your point, Jim, is it's like you know, there's the, the Star Trek established that whole culture, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just right. you know, back back in the '60s and the '70s. I mean, I'm eager, happy to be a witness to to attest to it. Being a nerd and being a geeky guy who's into science fiction was absolutely not cool. I mean, now the geeks have inherited the earth, so to speak, and present company included, right? And so it's like it's become a huge thing, like you're saying, where there's like if there's a convention, it's like now there's Star Wars conventions, there's Babylon 5 conventions, there's Expanse, there's everything. It's all, you know, you go to any big con and stuff like that. But back in its, you know, the primordial days of old, right? That's those were the yeah. first conventions. Purely were Star Trek conventions, and it was just this kind of extreme, odd thing, right? But and, it was the, the most foundational, beloved thing. And the reason why I bring that up is because way, way back in the day, like seventies, uh, eighties, early nineties type era. When you went to conventions, there were these things called fanzines. You guys ever read a fanzine or know what I'm oh, talking absolutely. about? absolutely. Yeah. So sure. for, for those of you out there who don't know what a fanzine is, back before, yes, and I'm going way back, before we had the Internet, before we had cell phones, before we had any of that, when you went to a convention, people would actually sit at their typewriters and write stories about Kirk and Spock. And they would they would type them up and they would bring them and they would have them photocopied and then they would staple them together and they would sell them at Star Trek conventions as fanzines, which were fans versions of stories of what they wanted the characters to be like and do. I'm going back now. I told you way back. One of the most popular fanzines that were were floating around back in that day was Kirk and Spock erotica. And a lot of people, I mean, a, a lot of people thought that Spock and Kirk had a relationship. And um, back in the 60s, the, the whole LGBTQ plus community had absolutely zero, I mean, zero 
representation anywhere. And a lot of a lot of these people looked at Spock and looked at Kirk and saw a glance, a look, a feel, a touch, a, a something that made them identify with Spock and Kirk and write these fanzines. So I think that that's a whole other level of intrigue about the character that brought in a whole a whole bunch of people that otherwise wouldn't have been there. If if you guys remember fanzines at all. And there's no there's no question that fan stuff like that absolutely generates a lot of excitement um, for the show. And, you know, we all on this show absolutely are guilty of headcanoning a ton of things that are never talked about on screen. And I understand um, that those fanzines of that era were instrumental to so many different um, kind of marginalized groups uh, to helping them feel more connected, you know, by seeing what they wanted to see in, in these things. I think that the, the phenomena you're specifically talking about is two people shipping with one another. And, uh, and a lot of people shipped uh, Kirk and Spock together back in the day because of those fanzines and because of the fiction that was being written uh, about those two characters. So, yeah, I, I love fan generated stuff that, that generates excitement about characters like Spock because Spock is a character who already has a lot of depth uh, on screen. uh, But there are, you know, myriad layers to that onion (laughs) as we are learning in strange new worlds too, right? We're already seeing new like layers to Spock in strange new worlds that we haven't seen before. And speaking of strange new worlds, when the cage came out, Number one, I'm sure everybody's seen the cage. Number one was an Iowanian, uh, and which we find out for sure on Strange New Worlds. And she's highly intelligent. Um, she's very calculated. She's very smart. She's very articulate. And Spock, if you guys remember, is more emotional. And he's not the Spock that we know and love on TOS. He's a much different version. When they, when they decided to make Star Trek into a series, they said, dump the woman. People won't accept the woman on the bridge. It's ridiculous. Dump her. So I think what they did is they took all, all that they had done with number one, wrapped it up, and put it into Mr. Spock and created a new character. And I think that was a smart move. Not dumping number one, but... Well, you just mentioned uh, you just mentioned Jim um, Strange New Worlds, and I and it, it, they're not exactly keeping it a secret. I mean, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get a very very Spock centric episode that that is actually even playing on its title plays on you know the title of the original Amok Time episode, right? So I think we're going to get a big uh, pullback in this franchise's reality of of what's going on with early days of Spock and his relationship and early days and seeing on Vulcan, it's going to be fascinating. I don't know if we're going to see his parents or not new actors playing them perhaps, but it's going to be exciting. What I am really curious is to draw a line back from where we are going to go shortly to the original first season, because we got between that first season and a half, right up through Amok time of the, I think it was the, one of the first episodes of, or probably the first episode of season two. What does everybody think are some of the most, you know, character defining moments for Spock, right? That really uh, set him apart. I, I got one I want to just throw out there because it's one of the first episodes I ever remember seeing when I was younger, right? And so outing myself 
demographically here, but I remember when the show was on the air, right? Or, you know, early reruns. But Galileo 7, and it might not be the first one some people think of in terms of Spock stories, right? But it, in a way, it's fascinating because he's getting his first command, quote unquote, right? There's his shuttle mission, and he's a senior officer, and they run into a. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> they run into the worst planet they could ever crash land on. Things are really bad, and it's a real test of what he thinks command is. And he thinks it's all about the rules and all about the structure and all about the hierarchy, and everybody just hates him. <laughs> it's just, it is like a, you should show it in corporate training is like leadership 101 what not to do he's just you know quoting chapter and verse from the rule manual and he's you know practically getting people killed and you know get sending red shirts out to die and it's just uh, <laughs> it's it's you know it does not go well until, until he finally starts to bend a little bit and you know gets to a place where there can at least be mutual respect between him and the crew, they start to understand why he's like he is. But initially, there is such fiery resistance to him. I mean, it's really dramatic. They don't get him or where he's coming from at all, given the life or death circumstances they're in. None of those rule books matter to them. So I always thought that was a really fascinating first look at, at his evolution and right the way you see him as far as it's like, does lo- it's a lesson for him. Does logic mean that rules are it? And that they're black and white, you know, it's just like he's a man who can see himself as a, as a, pardon the old expression, like a half breed, right? And he, can for somebody in those two worlds, do you have to live a black and white existence? And I think that's what he learns on that episode. So I thought that was a fascinating one. Um, but again, stuff from season one, there's some great examples there of, of Spock really showing us who he is. Oh yeah, absolutely. For uh... Uh, let me throw in, throw in a couple of them. I can't think of the episode title. What was the first time Spock did a mind meld? Oh, the first time he did it. That would be Dagger of the Mind. Oh no, the Dagger of the Mind. Right. Okay. Dagger of the Mind with when he um uh, with the prisoner. Dagger, okay. Then I would put I would put almost two episodes. Uh, End of season one, middle to end of season one, I think we really got a couple of good perspectives of him because you had the mind meld the first time Spock could communicate with an alien like that. Then let's also, we got an entirely different perspective of Spock in the only two-parter TOS ever had. Menagerie. Yeah, that's a great one, Charles. AKA the AKA the cage. And I think we got a very interesting perspective of Spock. And I think that uh, those those two those three episodes really gave us a true effect. Is like, yeah, this guy's got a lot of layers to him, even if it was the sixties. That and Menagerie is so great off. because he's willing to go up against the, 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 the all of Starfleet, all of the rules yes. and everything to do the he right thing by a friend. He lose, lose his career to save his captain. 
Yeah, because because of his friendship with him, right? So he's he's actually doing something that's really emotional, which is amazing. So I totally agree. I mean, that's a super revealing. Uh, he, I mean, he he commits mutiny, right? That's mutiny, Mister. Yeah. <laughs> he commits mutiny and false programs the computers, goes up against Starfleet, breaks, you know, incurs what's the only death penalty still on Starfleet's books. It's amazing. And you're like, what is this guy doing this for? And then when you find out, it's like, wow. I mean, it really, how are you not feel endeared to him? Excellent choice, brother. Yes. And then, and then how does, and then, and then Kirk turns around and repays him by shooting him out of an, out of a torpedo onto the Genesis planet and flies away and leaves him behind. (laughs) Well, oh, but well, that's a good point. I mean, that's a good point, Jim, because I there are we're talking about quintessential Spock moments, and I do think that the movies contain some of these moments. I mean, we went all the way through TOS, and there are amazing, uh, you know, character development moments that happen all throughout that series. Um, but for me, you know, I I grew up. I mean, the TOS that I was familiar with was a handful of episodes that I I watched at my local library on. 16 millimeter film uh, because I didn't really see it on television reruns. So like I saw the menagerie probably a dozen times and uh, you know, I saw uh, a bunch of those kind of classic episodes, but not, not very many. So the depth wasn't there. When I got to the movies, I really uh, personally got interested uh, in this character and I love uh, so much of the Spock stuff from the movie. So one that I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to do the, the Star Trek two one, because I think that's, I'll let somebody else have that one. And that one is obviously uh, right up there, but I'm going to talk about a Star Trek four one that I think is really special because um, one of the things that is uh, indicative of Spock is that he has a strained relationship with his father. And we kind of learned that uh, back in TOS. We see that continue uh, throughout the Next Generation shows, uh, and then we see it continue, uh, his relationship and what the, the relationship looks like later on um, in, in the movies. And I love Star Trek IV uh, because there's, a, there's this moment uh, where, um, you know, basically Sarek is leaving, uh, he's departing. And Spock is standing there saying goodbye to him, and Kirk is kind of off to the side. And um, and Sarek looks at Spock, and he says, uh, "Your associates are people of good character." And and Spock says, "They're my friends." <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, "Do you have a message for your mother?" And he says, "Yes. Tell her I feel fine." I love that scene so much because yeah. not only is it resolution of kind of like the Sarek um, Spock relationship to me in a lot of ways, but it's also the like Spock showing off his emotional side to his dad. It's like, it's like he's come out to his dad now, right? And his dad has accepted him. And now he's like, okay, now I'm just going to be myself. <laughs> Tell her I feel fine. Um, love that scene so much from Star Trek Four. It's almost well, like a like I, a bookend uh, the end scene of um, of Journey to Babel, right? Where the two of them are side by side in the sick bay beds, and the, suddenly they have like you know rapport, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Why did you marry her? <laughs> <laughs> Great, well, where they finally have a they can I, you know finally uh, are able to connect just a little bit. Well, one well, of the lines I use with our host all the time when he does his uh, when we do our con. 
It's frequently I'll go with the liner from Spock. Jim, your name's Jim. <laughs> right. Spock has Uncle recognition Jim. of finally realizing who Kirk is. Yeah. Oh, when he's getting oh. memory back. For me, there's there the the scene in uh, in Star Trek Two when he allows uh, Savick to pilot the Enterprise, mm. and McCoy and Kirk are just standing there like, "What what what what's going on?" But the, the for me, it's Star Trek Five. You guys knew this was coming, right? Does this surprise of you? Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, when 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 we find out that he has a brother in Cybok, and Cybok mind well, I don't, controls him with with his birth, and Sarek says he's so human, and then he says to Spock, "Come on, let's go to the bridge." And Spock says, "No, he's going to stay behind." Now McCoy is heading right out the door with Cybok, but Spock stays with Kirk, even though Cybok already I don't know what mind controlled them. I don't know what the word, proper word is, but uh, even though Cybok did his thing. Spock chose to stay with Kirk, where everybody else went with Cybok, including McCoy. And then McCoy stopped and says, well, you know, I'm going to have to stay too. But Spock is the one that actually made that choice to stay. And I think that speaks a lot about Spock, that he, he chose Kirk over his brother, stepbrother, but over his brother. And the, my favorite, favorite line is at the end, when when uh, Spock blows up the creature and Kirk is on the bridge and he's going to give him a hug and Spock says, "Please, Captain, not, not for the Klingon." <laughs> oh my yeah, God! I just oh oh, I lost it. I just I, so I, I when I was sitting in the movie theater, I leaned over to my wife and I said, "He better give Spock a hug because if he doesn't, forget it." And he did, and Spock said, "Please, Captain, not in front of the Klingons," because Spock understands Kirk and and his emotional platitudes and I think that's great so those those are mine for, well there's a lot but those are my two favorite ones oh, so man. listen guys well, we have to take a, we, yep. we gotta take a very quick commercial break here guys and uh, we're gonna take it with Spock fascinating is a word I use for the unexpected fascinating fascinating Fascinating. Fascinating, Captain. Fascinating. 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 A most fascinating thing happened. Fascinating. Fascinating. But it would be a fascinating project. Fascinating. 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 But quite impossible. Fascinating. Fascinating. Fascinating material. Fascinating. 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 You are a disembodied brain. Fascinating. Fascinating. A fascinating cultural development. Fascinating. 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 Please, Spock, do me a favor and don't say it's fascinating. No. But it is 
interesting. So how many times did Spock <laughs> say fascinating? <laughs> that was so good. Oh, man. So good. A lot. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish I had been counting. I mean, it had to be 100. It was so many. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. And uh, we, we have a caller on the line, guys. And I, I think I recognize this number. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? So um, this is Anna. And hopefully Anna. you're here to me. I, Hello. How are you doing, Anna? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We're talking about Mr. Spock. Good. Is he your favorite character? I don't know if he's my favorite, but he really is just so compelling. Like, you know, there's never a time you don't want to know what's going on with Spock. <laughs> like, I would nope. I'm interested in what he's up to. But he's not maybe my absolute favorite, but just something about him. And he is emotional. That's how he seems to me. So I'm wondering, what does Vulcan emotion mean, you know? And I just haven't watched the show as much as you all have. I felt like more of a Star Trek nerd before I started listening to your show, and it's awesome because I'm learning a lot, you know. But in terms of Vulcan emotions, I'm wondering if there are shows that you think more like culturally how they see emotions or kind of, you know, the threshold for which you would say Spock has more or less emotions and maybe is it a Vulcan he has more or less emotions than or just like a human or it's like Vulcans have less emotions than everyone? I don't know. So I think um, I would be interested in hearing more about maybe why he doesn't have, why you think he doesn't have emotions. Well, I, I just think just he has give them. and take here. I just call yeah. him randomly and yeah, yeah, this no, is that's, good. That's fine. This is a this is kind of a common. Uh, I think th- there are some misconceptions about the way that Mr. Spock is portrayed. Some people automatically go to that he does not have emotions, but I think Jim was just probably about mm-hmm. to elaborate on the fact that he he does, in fact, Jim right have intense emotions. Absolutely. And so culturally, Vulcans, um, you know, had, they way back when, and you learn this if you watch Star Trek Enterprise, actually. And uh, you know, we we here on the show will will tout the uh, several episodes of Enterprise, but there's a great episode uh, which the name will escape me right now. Maybe one of y'all can help me out. But where we get um, kind of some history on this, um, and we we learn that the Vulcans, you know, used to be a kind of a barbaric people. And it was the teachings of this one man uh, named Surak who sort of brought the concept of logic culturally to Klingon or to uh, Vulcans. And so they just kind of culturally started forcing themselves to rely on logic and to tamper down their own emotions. And they did this through ritual. They did this through um, daily practice, daily meditation. They did it through martial arts, through art, um, through all of these different things. And, once they kind of culturally had sort of taken that identity on, then um, then anybody who kind of was outside of that was considered a deviant. And in fact, there are some interesting stories in Star Trek Enterprise about deviant factions of Vulcans who don't necessarily believe in the concept of logic and what does that mean these days. 
So Spock has, not only does he have the Vulcan side, right, but then he's got the human side. So it's kind of like he's got a really super violently emotional side, which is the Vulcan side that's tamped down by culture. And then he has kind of the normal emotional human side that's just balanced in the same way that presumably it's balanced for most of us. Um, You know, if you just averaged us all out, it would be Spock's human side, I guess. If you really want to see an interesting side of the emotional side of a Vulcan, I think the, the go-to episode is Derek from CNG. Mm-hmm. When he allows what his emotions to into her car. It's Sarek, the name of his father. Oh, Okay. Yes. okay, I'm going to look that up. I have yeah, questions that's... about his dad, too, and, and his, you know, what he did to Kirk and, and how people see the father, if they really, you know, like Spock or because of his father, like, you know, kind of reusing Spock more as a person and then, you know, wouldn't be loyal to him. But it seems like they're all really friends, like they're all truly friends. So I wondered about the father, if he had really portrayed Kirk or not. And But, but also in terms of just talking about the law and, and, and logic and emotion, and I know they had the big trial with Kirk and his father was involved and everything, but, you know, logic and emotion totally go together. And the law, when you use logic, you're using emotion in your working in a way that's not really black and white, you know what I mean? And hierarchical, it's how a lot I think should work, but it often doesn't. So very, yeah, that's very, a, very. It's, that's a really good point. And I actually, you know what that makes me think of is a, is a line from Star Trek three that has always made me a little bit, un- or excuse me, the end of Star Trek two, uh, that has always made me a little bit uncomfortable because during Spock's funeral, um, Kirk says something about, um, you know, Spock's soul being of anybody he's ever met the most human. And I think I know how, what his intention is there, but what it does is it doesn't, um, it kind of like means that that's as good as he gets, you know, and his Vulcan side kind of isn't really part of the show. And, and I agree the emotional Vulcan side and then the cultural uh, logical Vulcan side, that all works together in that culture. And then mixing that, it's not that they're diametrically opposed, is what you're saying, right? They're they're not opposite. Oh yeah, no, I think that yeah. <laughs> right, right. For sure. And and so this is still a confusion for me. So the Vulcans are more are more emotional, and that's why this reformer came in to try to deal with what they considered kind of fervor or mass emotions getting out of control. Or that's still a little confusing. I had no idea of that history, or did I get that wrong? No, you're right. Were they? You're absolutely right. Oh, wow. I had no idea about that. Okay. And in a way, that makes sense. Maybe he to me so emotional. Yeah, absolutely. And they have, you know, particular, even their their hormones are affected. So, you know, like uh, Vulcans, uh, at least Vulcan males, I'm not sure if it happens with females or not, but once every seven years, you know, they go into a crazy, like, emotional hormone driven state uh, uh, where they 
they crave copulation with uh, somebody else. So that is like a seriously emotional, like uncontrollable hormone driven thing that is not logical. Well, I mean, I guess it's logical from the from the standpoint of procreation. It is logical, like, though. That's yeah. <laughs> but, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> and if there's an episode of Star Trek Discovery in, in season one that deals with uh, Sarek and Spock and, and where that whole problem came up with, how that started, um, like, like the near the end of season one, Eric, or right in the of, of discovery, which, which problem the where where we find out of why Spock and his father haven't spoken in so long? Oh, yeah. uh, that's when uh, Burnham he's on the ship with Bur- he's on the shuttle with Bur- Burnham, right? Because yeah. she's trying to rescue him, and she right. has to go into his mind to find out the past, find out the truth of the past. Yep. That's um, Star Trek Discovery. It's like, I don't know, uh, episode eight, maybe, or like seven. That. Yeah. Yeah. Of Star Trek I Discovery. Think that was before you... they went to the side. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, it's there, though. So, uh, other quintessential Spock moments. We we probably only have 15 minutes or so left, so let's, let's get some more of these out. Uh, Charles, did you have another one that you wanted to share? Oh, yes. Where's my list? Another one where we really get a good aspect of Spock's scientific mind. And this is another episode. We don't think about it. But this is another episode that really has repeated through Star Trek. Sitting on the edge of forever. How important was it for Spock to be there to let Kirk know what happened to history and to realize what they need to do to fix history? And the work he did trying to build that computer. Yeah, that was fun to watch. I love his little contraption. Yeah, yeah. out of sticks and stones, literally. (laughs) Basically. Stone knives and bear skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but to build that and what he what he was able to do and get that information. And it's the first this the in the first occasion of seeing a Vulcan in a skull cap covering his ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's not just Generation the source of information either. That again. No, he's, he's not, not just the source of information. He's really there almost acting as, as Kirk's conscience, right, to, to remind him about what has to be done. It's just like now that he knows, he's like, uh, Jim, uh, I kind of found out she's got to die, dude. It's, it's like yeah. he has to like, like he's no, got to be that one who reminds him of like what, what duty calls for. And if we yeah. want to set things right. What has to be done? He's he's like his inner conscience. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I I think Paul, I think you just touched on what made TOS so special is that you you had McCoy who was the emotion, you had Spock who was the logic, and you had Kirk who was balancing the two by taking advice from one and the other and then making a decision based on that. And I think that right. was the yeah. what made TOS so special. 
That's the Trinity dynamic, life. man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Really, Fox really true. interactions are my favorite for sure. And they're just hilarious. And and that continues on into the movies, of course. Uh, they they have a lot of banter. Although, um, I, you know, my I, we talk a lot about the virtues of Spock. So I want to talk just very briefly about one really uncomfortable Spock moment that I have. And we've talked about it uh, when we did our movie reviews. So in Star Trek VI, um, you know, we suspect at one point that Valeris uh, is a problem and she has actually been caught red-handed uh, and they need to get some information out of her. And Spock takes it upon himself um, in the presence of all these other people to mind meld with Valeris and to get the information that he needs. Um, and at this point, he's so mad at her because she was like his protege. He trusted her, gave her all this access, and she betrayed him. And so he begins this mind meld in, from as far as I'm concerned, a, a like kind of anger standpoint. He's like, I'm going to force some information out of you, and I'm going to do it with this mind meld. And we all know that mind melds are very intimate thing, right? I mean, the two people literally share a consciousness with one another. So the, the, the thing that I probably love most about that particular scene is not that that's going on because the, the mind meld itself makes me really uncomfortable when I watch it. But at the end, when Spock's voice cracks uh, after he's done this mind meld and he tries to talk to, his, to everybody about what he just learned, that is some of the best literal acting I've ever seen in my entire life. And Leonard Nimoy just absolutely blew that scene out of the water. But it is a moment that makes me feel a little uncomfortable about Spock because we know that when his emotions are fired up, he is willing to do some stuff that like by, at least by today's standards, I would say is probably not okay. Um, and probably was not okay back then either. In fact, definitely so, wasn't okay. <laughs> that's a perfect segue why don't we why don't we talk about all of the people who have played Mr. Spock because there's a lot more than just Leonard Nimoy and I think there's a lot more than people might actually realize. You have that list in front of you, Eric? Uh, let me see. I will pull it up here real quick. I did not have it pulled up, but yeah, it's coming up right now. So yeah, we, the the really amazing thing is that people don't realize how many people have played Spock, right? Right, Jim? Like, exactly. It's okay. an intense Let's number. Look at uh, how, many, how many people played Spock just in Star Trek II? That's right. Yeah. Star Trek Three. Star Trek right. Three. Yeah. So, so if we if we go through our wall of Spock and all of the people that have played Spock, we of course have Leonard Nimoy, um, and he did it all throughout. You know, all of the movies and everything. He's the one that everybody knows about. The show that we love to talk about on this series that we just literally reviewed this uh, episode a couple of Mondays ago uh, was uh, Billy Simpson from the animated series. So he plays young Spock um, when Spock time travels back. So we've got Billy Simpson. That's two. And then you're right, Charles. We, we dig into Star Trek three. So we have Carl Steven, who plays Spock at age nine. We have Vadia Pedenza, who plays Spock at age 13. We have Stephen Manley, who plays Spock at age 17. Then we have Joe W. Davis, who plays Spock at age 25. So that right there is four Spocks 
uh, in one movie plus the regular Spock. So that's five Spocks out of <laughs> one movie. Um, but then we move on. Uh, when we get into the 2009 movies, of course, we get two actors who portray Spock. We have Jacob Kogan, who plays uh, young Spock uh, in Star Trek 2009, uh, which I personally love those Spock scenes from that movie. Some of my favorite Spock scenes ever in movies. And then, of course, Zachary Quinto, um, who played him in three different uh, Star Trek uh, Kelvin timeline movies. Um, and then we get into Discovery uh, slash Strange New Worlds. We, have, of course, have Ethan Peck these days. Uh, and then also from Discovery, we have long, young <clears throat> Liam Hughes, uh, who plays the child Spock that Michael Burnham uh, grows up with. So if you count those all up, that is 10 actors, 10 people who presumably are part of the guild. Uh, I believe everybody, maybe not every one of those headlines, but, um, but 10 people actors who have portrayed Spock. But Jim, what about the secret Spock? What about the secret 11th Spock? Do you know about that one? The secret 11th Spock? The secret 11th Spock is from your movie. And you mentioned that exact scene tonight. In fact, the scene where we see young Spock and he's so human, that baby, that's the secret 11th Spock. Does he have a name? Uh, he doesn't. He's an uncredited baby. That's why he's I don't an uncredited baby. Credits, oh, dude, he's, if you're character. not in SAG, it's not canon. Sorry. <laughs> but he's a baby. And that is Spock the you're, you're like a, just, you're like a Hollywood scab. That baby's a scab, half, dude. Ten and a half. Please. Ten and a half actors <laughs> That's awesome stuff. Do we have time to mention one more episode? Absolutely. There's just one, I just watched it again recently, and, you know, some of them, it's like, I swear, you could have seen it 30, 40 times over the course of the years, and they just still hold up like they were just made. But I just got to really briefly mention back to season one, um, which is just where there was so much good stuff going on. But this side of paradise, right, that is an incredible episode, because on that one, they go to this planet and you find out that there are these spores that are keeping everyone alive. And so they're not dying from radiation poisoning like they might. But one of the mm-hmm. colonists on this planet is this young woman who used to be in love with Spock years ago. And there's the, the back in their days at either the Academy or a science outpost or wherever. And there's a pretty strong indication that, you know, that they were, close but she could never really break through and get him to be open with her there was some intimacy there it's kind of implied but could never crack through and because of the influence of these spores everyone's inhibitions come off and they're able to just be yeah it's it's basically the the show is like a giant 60s metaphor for you know for pot essentially right i mean it really is it's just like oh now you can just be yourself and you'll be fine and and Spock just lets his hair down as long as it could go, metaphorically. And he is just having a great time. He's able to romance her, and, and he's able to be himself. And then Kirk has to piss him off to shake off the influences of the spores. He's got to really get in his face and insult him because violent emotions are the only things that drive the spores away. And so he basically has to call him every name in the book and get him so angry that that Spock may actually kill him. You know, it's all, it's almost the only other time we saw Spock really break something is like an Amok time when he smashes the viewer in his quarters. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's a powerful dude. 
And then at the very end of that episode, right, you know, they're all kind of doing the thing as the ship pulls out of orbit and they're having their little reminiscence. And, uh, and Spock says, he goes, they ask him if he has anything to say. And he's like, no, but for the first time in my life, I was happy. Yeah. Boom. I mean, mm-hmm. that is like, what a, a tripling moment, man. Story and teleplay by DC Fontana, you guys, of course. Yeah. I mean, she basically created that character, at least how we come to know her. I mean, because she pivotally wrote all, you know, so many of those, those in-depth in Spock stories. But that one just gets me every time because Nimoy gets to really, it's an incredible performance because he gets to be human for, you know, half the episode and it's just enchanting and you get to see him have this love relationship and then he can't keep it you know it's like so he wants it so much but he's not allowed to have it again it's like that other half of his you know duality comes up and it's like no you may want this and it may make you happy but you're not allowed to have that and it's just i think a lot of people relate to that kind of thing as well where it's like you have to make a sacrifice for and for Spock, it's always the needs of the many, right? And uh, and yeah. you really see that powerfully in this. So if you haven't watched this episode in a while, fans, uh, season one, uh, I think it's episode twenty-four, the side of paradise. Yeah. Go watch yeah. it again. It's really really remarkable. Yep. Well, well, don't forget. Well, let me don't forget up, Leonard well, Nimoy. Really, uh, and go ahead. If you really want to get an insider view of Spock. And Leonard Nimoy, and I mean, take a look at both characters. I had an interesting adventure earlier this year. Earlier this year, I was wandering through Goodwill, eh, just seeing what's on the shelf, and a book caught my eye. And it's like a shelf full of books. One book caught my eye. I went over and looked at the book. And I've listened to this audio before, and I'm going to listen to the audio again to it. It's a book by Leonard Nimoy called I Am Spock. And it was, I've heard the audio years ago and by him. And to really realize what turmoil he had dealing with the Spock character. In fact, Spock actually talks to him in the book. And to get that two sides of that story and how much, because this is actually part of, this is actually a second book. Originally, he wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. And he had to write this one in the fact when he realized he was Spock. This was copyrighted in 1985. But this is when he realized he was Spock. He couldn't let Spock go. Well, before we run out of time, I just want to let everybody know, don't forget that Leonard Nimoy played Spock in the Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness, and he played Spock opposite Zachary Quinto's Spock. So we get two Spocks for the price of one. And I know a lot of people jump over those movies. They don't like them, whatever. But if you want to see Leonard Nimoy's final appearance as Spock, then you have to watch Star Trek Into Darkness, and uh, yeah. you'll see that. That it's, picture. You know, they actually, yeah, they show the, 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 it's really good. 
All right, guys. Well, we are out of time. Did you have a good time talking about Spock? I think we could have gone on for another hour. There's so much more we didn't get to. Yeah. I feel like I grokked Spock a little bit more than I did yesterday. Yeah, it was it was interesting. So uh, I want to let you guys know that Thursday night on Trek Talking, we're going to be talking about The Ghost of Illyria, which is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Episode 3, same bat time, same bat channel, 7.30. Um, so you guys want to check that out. And before we have to go, I just want to say thank you so much to uh, Anna for giving us a call in from Portland tonight. Thank you for listening and for calling, Anna. I love being there. able to do this. Thank you. Could I just ask, is it 4.30 um, Pacific time officially you start, or when is it? Yep, 4.30. Yes. And is it 4.30? 4.30 okay. Pacific. I, 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 I called in late, and it's been a crazy week. I hope I'm not doing anything, but, you know, just hopefully. Uh, we love being, our callers. You know. We love our callers. No, okay, that's so what we're here for. <laughs> Okay. No, nope, you're always okay. you're welcome anytime. And we okay. also want to say thank, thank you. Very much. Oh, you're very very welcome. We also want to say thank you to David for hanging out, and uh, he, even though he didn't share any donuts with us tonight, but thank you so much for hanging mm-hmm. out with us and Trek talking, David. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I can get you some donuts when you got me over here. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> And also, we got to say thank you so much to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Paul. Good way to start the week, my friends. Thank you so much, friends. We start the week with, with Trek talking, and we end the week with Trek talking. Isn't that awesome? Great. It and, is, of course, indeed. thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you very much. Had a great time. And let's, let's jump over to Las Vegas now that we've taken care of our Portland crew. Let's move over to Las Vegas. Today. Thank you so much to Charles mm-hmm. for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. Spock is such a fascinating character. He is. i I got to go so back and terrible. count how many times he said fascinating in season <laughs> in TOS. It, it's got to be a lot. <laughs> I didn't count them, but it's got to be quite a few. And, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, coming to you live from Vermont. And uh, we will be back. Uh, no, we actually, we won't. We won't be back next Monday because it is Memorial Day weekend. So there will be no show mm-hmm. next Monday. However, the following Monday, we're going to go back and take a look at Star Trek Picard Season 2. We have all the fan scores. We have all the fan ratings. We have the total rating by the fans for the entire season. And we're going to go back and we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek Picard Season 2 on our next Trek Talk and Overflow show, which won't be next Monday. It will be the following Monday. So mark your calendar for that. And uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Uh, let us know where you're listening from and listen for your name on a future fan shout-out. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. Let's see what's out there. Engage.
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.